As I mentioned, we're continuing our summer theme we're calling Heroes of Faith. And um, each time that I'm going to share around this theme, I'd like to focus in on the life of Moses, particularly the early portion of Moses' life. And as we do that, as we explore kind of the formative years of his life, I'm hoping that we'll be able to discover that our faith in the Lord, well, it's usually born in times of uncertainty and adversity. It's usually there that... Um, we most exercise. It's almost like our faith in, in God um, is, is made for trials. It's there that we usually step into it, lean into it. It's there that we usually become more, most open to it. And, and we'll be able to kind of um, explore this idea a little bit more. But, you know, it was about seven weeks ago that I was last given the, the privilege of sharing here at this platform. And it was also around seven weeks ago that I had a little bit of an accident playing basketball. And uh, an accident that ended up putting my right hand, my arm, into a cast for seven weeks. And, um, you know, for seven weeks, I was having to explain to people what uh, kind of accident I had. And so I just started embellishing it a little bit. And, you know, people would ask, what happened? I'd be like, man, don't you hate it when you dunk too hard? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that didn't happen to me either. Um, but... You know, I fell backwards and broke a little bit of a bone, a small bone here, and um, put me in a cast. And it was about two days ago, Friday morning, that um, I went to the doctor and they, they removed the cast, right, after seven weeks. And I was so looking forward to this. I mean, it, 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 was, it was something I really was looking forward to. In fact, to the point where Monday morning I woke up and this song just came to mind. This is by this group named Europe. It's probably the only song they're known by. It's The Final Countdown. And so it's Monday morning, we're, I'm listening to the final countdown with my wife, and you know, it has this minute and a half long intro that's just so memorable. If you've never heard it, it's worth listening to. But I, it was Monday morning, and then Tuesday morning, the same thing, and Wednesday morning, same thing. And you, I, I started, honey, you know what time it is? <laughs> She's like, it's the final countdown. Yes, it's the final countdown, right? And so we just started playing, shared it with my coworkers. I just would send them texts of the, the music without any explanation. They, they needed to understand on their own what was going on. And, and I, I remember I was sitting in the office Friday morning um, in the clinic where the, the assistant was going to remove my cast. And I remember just starting to play that song as, as she started to saw it off. And she, she laughed. <laughs> and she knew exactly what it was. And she's like, that's funny. You shouldn't celebrate too fast. And we don't know what's going on there. And I remember going into the doctor after the x-ray and, and playing it with my doctor. Just like no explanation. I just started playing it, right? Just give me my results. And he's like, we don't, we don't you may not want to celebrate so quick. We don't know if it's completely healed. And I remember thinking, but, but Doc, it's, it's the final countdown. <laughs> this is supposed to be it, right? And he goes, hey, it's not healed yet. In fact, um, you're going to need three weeks in a brace. You're going to need to be in a brace at all times. And um, I remember sitting there, I was like, well. So I started asking questions. What, what do you mean? I mean, I, my, my wrist just got free. And now you want to put it in a brace again? He's like, yeah. Um, I said, so, okay, what can I do? And I was asking him, what can I do? He basically said, not, not much of anything. So he's, you can't play, definitely no basketball. No basketball for a while, three weeks, and then we'll re-examine. I said, okay. How about, uh, you know, no bicycle, no bicycle. I have a motorcycle. <laughs> no motorcycle, all right? No motorcycle. I said, how, could I write with it? Maybe, maybe, maybe I could write with it, man. 
And he goes, I, I said, so I said, you know, here's the thing. Um, and he knows I'm a pastor. And so I said, you know, this weekend I'm going to be sharing with my church. So could I, could I remove it then? He goes, why? Are you telling me that the congregation will have a hard time receiving the word of God <laughs> if you are wearing a brace? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I just, I just, you know, for aesthetic reasons. He's like, oh, so you're telling me that the congregation would have a hard time receiving the word of God if it doesn't look good? I was like, no, it's, it's just for me. And he goes, ah, I'm just kidding. Of course, you, you not wear it, you know, so it's doctor sanctioned here. No brace while I'm speaking. But, uh, you know, I share that because it was seven weeks. It was seven weeks of being inhibited, being unable. And even right now, I don't have full mobility. It's not totally recovered yet. But I, I got to be honest with you. It was seven weeks and it was, it was not easy. And I was just thinking about this because, you know, at first I remember it, the injury first happening. And it's such a minor thing, right? I mean, such a minor thing, a cast for seven weeks. And if I compare myself, if I do the comparison game, I mean, I should be very happy. I should be so happy that at least my body's able to heal itself. That I've at least gotten to this place where it, restoration is possible. If, if I compare myself, I should be happy with my mobility. And yet the truth is, I, I wish I could tell you that. I was happy all through these seven weeks. The truth is, even the adversity, though it was small, it was still adversity. I mean, I, I, um, I remember initially negotiating, wondering like, what can I do, what can I not do? And coming to realize, wow, I'm severely limited. This is my dominant hand. And I remember having moments where I was just bothered and irritated. Other moments where I would be discouraged. And, and I was just thinking about this, and I share this because that is the nature of adversity, is it not? where it may not be such a big deal on the grand scheme of things. Man, it, honestly, is it that? But then on the other hand, no matter how hard we try, we cannot deny that it bothers us. It bothers us. And how we respond there matters. You know, I, I was, I was, there was moments where I was feeling pretty, pretty low. You know, moments like I couldn't tie my own shoes. <laughs> I mean, man, if I have to ask for help, I remember, honey, you know, to my wife, can you, can you tie my shoes? And it's such a humbling experience, you know. And then other things I didn't really mind saying I couldn't do, like, you know, honey, I, I just can't do the dishes, you know. I, um, <laughs> the thumb is crucial for that, right? And so, you know, but... But we, we, we know what it's like, right? Because you know what happens? It's there. It's, it's in that place where we come more in touch with our weaknesses or our limitations or what we cannot do. That is the place. Don't you find? That is the place where faith is either born or exercised. It, it, if we have noticed in our own lives, in our own journey, it is there that we become a little bit more open to God. It's there when we recognize, well, I can't do this. Or I don't know if I have it in me. Or I don't have the strength I once had. And all of a sudden, we become a little bit more open to God. It's there. Right? It's almost as if our faith in the Lord was made for such moments. It's right there. And what we see when we explore different 
figures of our faith, different heroes of the faith, is that um, they're not all that different from us. In fact, Moses, Moses was born into such a moment. And he's referred throughout the New Testament, but there are a couple passages I'd like us to explore, and then we'll zoom in on the context of how he was brought into the scene. We're told, if you open up your handout in Acts 7, verse 19, we're told that he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. This is in the middle of Stephen's defense. He's giving a defense for why he has faith in Messiah Jesus. And as he is doing this, he's, by the way, the church's first martyr. As he is doing this, he refers to Moses' beginnings. And verse 19, though it moves quickly, refers to a very dark period in Israel's history. Because what we know is that they were, they were somewhat captive. They were enslaved under Egypt and Pharaoh. He, in verse 19, is referring to Pharaoh. And what had happened is the Israelites had multiplied to such an extent that Pharaoh became threatened by how large of a number they had. And after consulting with his cabinet, he decided, you know what, if a foreign army were to invade us, they could rise up against us, and all of a sudden, we lose power. And so he implemented a treacherous population control method. And what he decreed was that any, any boy, any male born to the Israelites would on the spot be put to death. That was what he ordered. And we're told, Stephen says it in verse 20, at this time Moses was born in that circumstance. And he was a beautiful he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. He moves through this, and he basically says he was born, and he was hidden for three months, and then Pharaoh's daughter ended up adopting him and taking him in. And we would see this, and we would say, wow, that, that's a rather amazing story. But what Hebrews captures is a little bit more detail, a little bit more... Um, ingredients in terms of what was actually going on, we're told, and this refers to the faith of his parents. And you look at this, Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. You know what this is saying? By his parents for three months. Uh, his parents hid him for three months by faith. It's actually not referring to Moses at all. It's referring to his parents, and it says, because they saw that the child was beautiful, which, what mother wouldn't see that their child is beautiful? And there's not a mother who would say, who wouldn't say this. But what this is actually pointing to, and what, what Stephen was actually pointing to, is that there was a sense, there was a sense that God had an assignment for this child. And look at this, they were not afraid of the king's Edict. You know what this Hebrews is saying? That his parents demonstrated heroic faith. That the law of the land they saw as unethical. And so what did they do? They believed in God and they exercised civil disobedience, doing what they knew was right. They didn't bow. They didn't bow. They weren't afraid. They were courageous. For three months. They hit him. This is kind of more of a broad summary. But the more detailed version is found actually in the second book of 
the scriptures called Exodus, and it's in the second chapter of Exodus that we find this passage that accounts, gives us an account of the circumstances Moses was born into. I'd like us to take a look at it. Hopefully, we'll be able to glean some things. Verse 1, we're told that now a man from the house of Levi went and took his, at his, as his wife a Levite woman. He's referring to the tribe in Israel, one of the 12, the tribe of Levi. And this tribe ended up becoming the tribe, by the way, that out of this tribe came the workers of the temple and the priests of the temple, generations down. He's saying Moses came from that tribe. He says, there was this man, took as his wife a Levite woman. Verse 2, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. These sentences, these verses, they show us a little bit of what is happening here. See, the historians have come to understand that what has happened is she, she gave birth to Moses, to a child. Not fearing, because of Hebrew, we know Hebrew's passage, not fearing the king's edict, she courageously decided to hide him for three months. After three months, recognizing she could no longer hide the child, she makes an ark. And we get the sense it's not just her alone, but the family acting together and make a little bit of an ark for the child. And they put material on it. Historians believe enough material that when it dried, it solidified and it sealed it and made the, the ark buoyant put the child in it, went to the reeds by the river, and let the child go. Unless we forget, this was not an action that she desired to do. She was doing it out of compulsion. There, there were no other options. And if we could just imagine what type of emotional turmoil she must have gone through. Uh, to leave and release a three-month tender old child. Can you imagine? And one thing's for sure, we could surmise, her prayers were not passive. We could say that her prayers were not thoughtless in their nature. They weren't casually spoken out. No, if anything, we, we, could, we, could, we could easily speculate that Moses' mother and family had prayers that were filled with um, delivered through tears. She did it moving with faith. And yet, we, I mean, through tearful faith. Uh, we could imagine that there was serious agony, serious anxiety, that this woman was releasing her, her child, not immune to fear, not immune to the anxiety that must have captured her heart, and yet she did it courageously. And we're told that as she does this in verse 4, that and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. We, we, we get the sense that the mother is no longer mentioned. And then what happens? That the sister, whom we know it, later through Exodus, her name is Miriam, at a distance stood to know what would be done to him. In verse 5, we're told that now, and then look at this. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river where while her young women walked beside the river and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the, the baby was crying. 
She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. I mean, this is, um, it, it, it appears, it appears that Moses' mother and sister and family had a, somewhat of a plan. It appears that this was not coincidental, that what had happened is they had some sort of idea of where Pharaoh's daughter bathed herself. And so knowing that they had no option but to release, what did they do? They, they released a child on the riverbank by the reeds where, the, where they knew that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of the land, would bathe herself. And what do we also know? That her, her maidservants would walk by the, down the bank of it. And what does she hear? She hears a baby crying. This is what it tells us, right? And so she sends the servant woman. Can you go get see what that is? They, the servant woman brings back the basket. She opens it. She sees the child. It's crying. And she takes pity on him. Unbeknownst to her, I think, she was set up. I mean, you put a young woman and a three-month-old child. Uh, that's brilliant. That's smart. If, if her father, the Pharaoh, was shrewd, so was Moses' mother. And what do we see? She takes pity on the child. Oh my, this is, this is one, of the, one of the Hebrews' children. And at that moment, this is, by the way, this is why I love the, the stories of the scriptures. They're thick and layered with all sorts of drama. And look, look at this. <laughs> she says this is one of the Hebrews' children, and verse 7, we're told, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, she appears out of nowhere, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse a child for you? Um, I can see you have compassion on this child. I know you can't take care of it right now. Do you want me to go? I have an idea. You want me to go get one of the, one of the Hebrew women to take care of this child? I think I, I, think I could find one. What, she, what happens? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. Now think about that. I, that's comedy right there. That's like, that's irony. It, it, it's one of these things. You know what this shows us? We see the larger picture here. We see every single role. We see every side, every angle. But what, we, what each one did not see was they didn't see what we see. I, I just love the way this is positioned, right? She comes in, she delivers, and they don't know what they're doing. They don't know exactly how this is paying out. Pharaoh's daughter doesn't know what's exactly going to happen. Moses' sister steps in. Do you want me to go get one? And say, yeah, go get, go get, um, go get, go get, go get somebody. So what does she do? She goes and gets his mother. And what, what happens? We're told in verse 9, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, he, he, she commands Moses' mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. I will pay you to take care of this child. She doesn't know it's her own son. I mean, it's remarkable, right? And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. See, this, this drama, this, this thing that is unfolding, it, it, it reminded me. It reminded me of when I was a child, and um, there would be these surprising elements. I remember, as a child, my, my grandparents loved to watch soap operas. And they were in Spanish. And, you know, they're called telenovelas. And uh, I remember there was always, they, they were, man, they were like, wow, they were captured, right, on the edge of their seat. 
And I remember there was always this moment where we would see different, you know, different parties, different roles, all captured in their own limited vantage point. And then something would happen and it's a surprising element. And there was always this line I remember always hearing. And no matter what soap opera, it would be one series or another series. I remember always hear, hearing this. And if you've never seen a soap opera in Spanish, that's okay. But I remember hearing, Maria, por qué? Like, why? Right? And, and my grandparents loved that moment because they saw it all along. They were like, oh, I saw that coming. Boom. Right? Like, why? I didn't see this, you know? That's exactly, you know what? This, this is exactly what's happening. Each one didn't see exactly. But you know what it's telling us? You know what the author is telling us? God saw it all. God saw it all. And look at how he orchestrated this. Yes, there was probably some human elements into it, but you could, you could see his fingerprints in it all. It's amazing. Because what are we, what are we seeing here? What, do, what, are we, what are we watching here? We're watching that Moses wasn't even supposed to be able to be born alive, and yet he survived. We're seeing that he wasn't even supposed to live beyond that point, and for three months he was hidden. And at the point of three months of no longer being able to be hidden, what happens? His mother ends up setting Pharaoh's daughter up. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter takes him in and pays her to take care of him. And after a period of time, she hands him over. And he is raised by the daughter of the man who ordered his demise. Who saw that coming? Who could have predicted that? We see this remarkable way things unfold. And we know Moses, by the way, it's not even the original name he's given. Why? Because he's given, it's, a, it's his adopted name. And in this, we, we, we see this and we easily forget, what is Moses most remembered for? Oh, he's remembered, he's known for what? Having the experience with the burning bush where the voice of God speaks, a bush that is on fire and isn't consumed. That's what he's remembered for. He's remembered for being sent as an instrument in God's hand to be able to deliver his people. And the often refrain, the, the refrain that often goes and echoes, let my people go in his confrontation with Pharaoh. We see he's remembered for the amazing miracles and demonstration of God's power. To the point where the Red Sea parts and an entire people group walk through it as on dry ground. He's remembered for his moment on Mount Sinai. Where he comes down with two tablets etched with ten commandments for his people. Do we realize none of that would have happened? None of that would have happened had he not survived the uncertainty of the times in which he was born. So fragile was his life. So vulnerable was he in the balance of things. Anything could have gone wrong at any moment. And yet God orchestrated something. Something that I think is meant to remind us of a couple things. Perhaps things as we turn the tables a little bit and consider what this has to do with our own faith. I think, firstly, I'd like to suggest that our faith, this reminds us that our faith is meant to be passed down from generation to generation. It's meant to be passed down from generation to generation. Look at one more time at Hebrews 11. What are we told? 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By his parents. Because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You know what this is saying? Moses didn't have a chance unless his parents exercised courageous faith. That's what it's saying. And Moses didn't even have he, didn't, he wouldn't even had an opportunity had his parents not exercised some degree of courage and heroism in their own faith, no matter how small it might seem. Oh, how significant it became. It reminds me, you know, so all of us, all of us, all of us owe our faith to someone. Yes, our faith is between us and God, but you know what? He uses people. And all of us, at some point or another, probably didn't have the strength of conviction. We probably found ourselves extremely vulnerable. And it was somebody else who exercised their faith on our behalf that gave us the opportunity to explore and to come to a point of receiving the love of God. And we're all connected. None of us are self-made in God. And if that's the case, you know what it also says? It says that, all of us, in some way, shape, or form, perhaps our exercising of our faith courageously. You know what? There are generations hinging on that. There are actually some people tied to us that are, they are waiting on our courage to make a way for them. That is, that's what it reminds us of. And I was thinking about this, particularly in our own context. You know, I, I'm now in my mid-30s. There was a time when I was in the youngest, younger generation in our church community. That time is gone. But I'm no longer in the younger, and I'm, no long, and I'm definitely not in, I'm not in the elder, more seasoned generation of our church. But coming here for some time now, one of the things I've come to really love about our church community, and I get not everyone may call this community their home, but for those of us who do, one of the things I love about our church community is that we have layers of generations. That we are not defined by a silo. We actually have layers. And in that, I was thinking about what a great opportunity we have. We have a great opportunity to enrich ourselves and to benefit from each other. And if I may, if I could speak to the younger generation. There is a reminder here that we are to honor and respect those who are older than us in the Lord. That we are to honor that. Because I say this not because there's any degree of that lacking, as much as I say this because of the city we live in and the region of the world we live in. We live in a region in that... that exalts youth, that loves innovation and newness, that lives on the edge of society. And when that is the case, and that is magnified, you know what also is magnified? That anything that is not that is disregarded so quickly. And a lot of times, it's there that if we, if we who are younger or who have people who are a little farther along in us than us in the Lord, we actually have a tremendous opportunity to gain from there. Because here's the deal. We might consider that they're not really with it. We might consider, you know what, they're, they're not tech savvy enough. They don't understand this generation. They, may not, they might seem like they're no longer understanding where we're at. And yet, what we miss out on is what only they can provide. If I could, again, I'm speaking to a segment here. 
which is experience and wisdom. And that only comes with time. Proverbs says, Wisdom, good advice lies deep within the heart, but a person of understanding is able to draw it out. To those of us who are in the younger, in this community, we have an opportunity to seek those out who are a little older, who are a little bit more experienced, and to, to humble ourselves and to ask, would you give me advice? Would you guide me? Would you speak to me about the, the tested faith you have walked in? So we have that opportunity. And to the more seasoned, if I may, I simply would love to say, well, we need you. Oh, do we need you. We need you not to check out. We need you not to coast in these segments of your life. We need your tested fiber. We need your faith that has been proven time in and time, time and again. We need it. Our, our students need stability. Our students need perspective that is only able to be shared because someone has walked it out. Our young families need hope that comes not through theory, but through having lived it. Our, our married couples need to be able to see this is what it looks like to sustain. Oh, we need you probably now more than, more than before. You see, and if, if we find ourselves somewhat in the middle, well, we have, in my opinion, one of the greatest opportunities because we both get to glean and give. And it is in this season we get to do both. If that's the case, you, you see what a great opportunity a community such as ours has to take advantage of. Our faith, it's never meant for ourselves. It's always meant for the generations coming behind us. And if that's the case, well, our faith is also, you know, it'll cause us, it may cause us to feel like foreigners in a strange land. There will be moments in our lives when we will feel like we don't belong. And we, where do I get this? Well, I get this from the fact that Moses was ripped out of his home and placed into a home that didn't even want him to begin with. He wasn't with his people. He wasn't with those who shared his faith. He wasn't with those who he was born into. He was in a foreign place. And we have to understand that for 40 years, as he grew up in this place, no matter how hard he tried or others tried, he would always recognize, you know, there's something different here. There's something different. He had to feel like he was somewhat of a stranger. We know this because he acts on that 40 years down the line. But in our case, in our lives, we might actually come to a point where we embrace Jesus in our lives and there might be points in our culture where we find ourselves on the outside of the inside circle. Marginalized. And we might find culture celebrating the things we think, you know what, but that grieves the heart of God. We might feel uncomfortable with that. And it's because, you know, we are to be reminded that actually this is quite normal for us who embrace Jesus in our lives. In fact, Peter told um, the believers of the first century, he says, and this is the message translation, but he said, friends, this world is not your home. This is in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He says, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. 
Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul, which is like, wow, what does that mean? It says, hey, if you ever find yourself humbled by being on the outside of stuff, don't feed your pride and give up your soul. Don't do that. If you ever feel uncomfortable, remember, this isn't our permanent residence. And you know what he also said? doesn't say? He doesn't say, so get angry. So retaliate. No. What does he say? He says, live an exemplary life. We would say heroic. Live your faith out among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. And then look, then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. If you ever find yourself on the margins of society or culture, if you ever find yourself on the, maybe some way accuse us on the wrong side of history, if we ever find ourselves in a place where we just can't celebrate what is being celebrated everywhere else, don't worry. It's a reminder. This isn't our permanent residence to begin with. It's okay. And it's a call, what? To live our faith out courageously. To not back off of it, but to live it out gently, lovingly, courageously. And by that, what happens? Others who may not mm, have the ability to embrace the love of God one day, they, your actions, this is what Peter said, your actions will give them the ability to be open. And when Jesus returns, the celebration will be, be bigger because of your heroism. Ah, what a promise. What a great reminder to us. Because if it reminds us of that, it also reminds us that our faith assures us that our adversity, it's never meaningless. It's just never meaningless. Moses, Moses experienced the pain of being born into an environment that was extremely hostile to his existence. He most likely saw his own people being subjugated and enslaved as he grew up. And all of that pain, you know what happened? God, it was not lost on God. Because what we know is that that pain of seeing his own people and he himself being born into such a place where he was ripped out of his family's grasp ended up fueling his passion to see his own people set free. And it was in that pain that God used it to plant the seeds of what he ultimately became most passionate about. And if that's the case, you know what? It's also a reminder what Paul said to the Romans. He says, listen, if, if we have embraced Jesus in our lives, we now have peace with God. And we now, and then he says it, we get considered audacious. But he says it. We can now rejoice in our adversity because it causes perseverance and perseverance builds our character and our character gives us a hope, a hope that will not disappoint or lay us to shame. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. So if pain is able to be sometimes the seeds of what ultimately becomes our passion, pain is also the adversity is able to be the, the tools God uses to form our character. And if that's the case, you know what it also is able to do? It's also able to increase our compassion. Look at this passage to the Corinthians. He, Paul said to them, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you hear what he said? If we find ourselves in adversity, in times of uncertainty, the God of all comfort is able to comfort us. And that is able to increase our empathy and compassion for others. See, an injury, a trial, a limitation, you know what it does? It gives us the ability that when we see others in pain, when we see others struggling, when we see others limited, we may not know exactly what that is like, but we are able to then give them what we ourselves received. Adversity is never meaningless in the hands of God. In fact, it becomes perhaps the moments where we get to get to either experience the birth of our faith or the exercising of it. We get to step into the heroic faith he invites all of us into. Not perfect, not without weakness, but heroic nonetheless. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving and our closing song, but I would just love to pray ask for his blessing. Lord, Lord, I thank you that not one of our tears is lost on you. Not one moment of our struggle, not one moment of our uncertainty, not one detail of our lives, it's outside of your knowledge and your ability to use it for our good. And so I pray, God, that you would help us I pray that you would help us. Those, especially if we feel like we just have such a limited perspective, we don't see everything, and we don't. And so I ask that you would give us courage. I ask that you would give us a degree of heroism, even if no one ever sees it, you do. And I pray, God, that you would help us exercise our faith in you, or perhaps experience it for the first time in our moments of uncertainty. I ask for this. In Jesus' name.